1: And welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon, and I am Rob McConnell, coming to you from our broadcast centre and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you would like to uh, send us an email, exone at TV.com on all social media sites, Exxon, uh, I'm sorry, Exxon Radio TV. And for all of the programming available on the Exxon Broadcast Network, 24-7, 365, visit www.xzbn.net. My guest at the Sour Nation is Amelia Cotter. She is an author, storyteller, tell, and um, she has um, also done a lot of work within the paranormal. So um, let me see. Amelia, why don't you come on and tell us about your paranormal experiences and why you do what you do?
2: All right, sounds good. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Oh, boy. Um... It's hard to know where to start. So The beginning.
1: A, the beginning is always the best place.
2: Yeah, right? <laughs> um, I have had a number of interesting experiences throughout my life. I got interested in, in ghosts when I was a kid, mm-hmm. um, going to the library and checking out all of the old books that used to be all lumped into what was then the occult section, uh, where all the cool books were about parapsychology and everything and then I so I grew up in Maryland and I had the pleasure of exploring some really interesting abandoned haunted places uh, near where I grew up and my parents kind of encouraged me to to do so safely mm. uh, they thought it was kind of neat themselves so uh, my my parents encouraged me to explore this house that was close to where my dad worked in Baltimore County Maryland he worked at a restaurant on what had been my lady's manor owned by Lord Baltimore. So there were a bunch of houses on the property from dating from like the 17 and 1800s. And one of them was affectionately known locally as Walter's house. And I got a chance to, to walk through some of the safer parts of the house in the daytime and check it out. I was a history buff too. And I think that's what my parents wanted to instill in me was a, a love and a, an affinity for, for history and, and, feeling lucky to have some of these places that were still standing that were many hundreds of years old and i live in chicago now so we don't really we don't really see that out here in the midwest right uh in any case i uh fell in love with this house called Mm -hmm. walter's house and that kind of started me on a track a lifelong track of being interested in ghosts and ghost stories and people's personal experiences mostly in a positive way some people come to it i think because they have you know, terrifying experiences. They grow up in a haunted house or something like that. I became more like romantically fascinated with with ghost stories, and that's kind of carried me through to today, where I've written books and done done a lot of research, right? And been involved with a show called the R.I.P. Files, um, which is a paranormal investigation reality mm-hmm. show, and gotten to explore a lot of different places around mostly around the U.S., but in some other parts of the world as well.
1: All right, some of your books include This House, the, the True Story of a Girl and a Ghost, Maryland Ghost: Paranormal Encounters in the Free State, as well as you did a children's book entitled Breakfast with Bigfoot. Uh, before I get into, um, into asking you about your, chi- your children's book, Breakfast with Bigfoot, <laughs> what has been the scariest, I mean, the most scariest experience that you have ever had?
2: That is such a great question, and sometimes, mm-hmm. depending on my my mood or what's you know what's going on that day, my answer will change. Sometimes I'm like s- suddenly struck with a memory of something incredible that happened. But uh, one thing that stands out in in my mind was when I visited the Patapsco Female Institute, which is in Ellicott City, Maryland, with uh, when I was filming the R.I.P. Files we we spent a night there and that is that was a a girls finishing school that was built in the 1830s and it's been partially restored and they do outdoor theater there and weddings and all kinds of stuff and there was only one reported death on the property and we weren't sure uh, how haunted it was actually going to be when we went to film there it was just a really cool location and it was one of the only times that, uh, so I haven't seen too many things. I have, I feel like I did see a ghost when I was a kid, but otherwise Mm -hmm. I haven't seen too many things with my own eyes, but I, I actually saw what people would normally describe as, as shadow figures, which were like these, but they weren't, they weren't like people shaped shadow figures. They were like these gelatinous masses that were moving along the, the outer walls of this, of this building. and, It was one of the only times I had ever felt like a a dark kind of presence, not evil or demonic or any of the buzzwords that people sometimes use, but definitely something that did not have any kind of good intentions and didn't seem to be like a, a human spirit.
1: So do you believe in ghosts if you haven't seen one?
2: I do. I Why? do believe in ghosts. I don't have a definition for what I think ghosts are. So we tend to, we use the word ghost or mm-hmm. spirit or apparition or demon or whatever to describe a number of different types of things that we see. And I feel like the more I've experienced throughout my life, the less I understand the activity that I'm, I'm looking at. Um, but I believe they exist. I just don't think I understand what they are. I think we also tend to look at ghosts... And Spirits through a religious lens and I try to see them as just something that Is some kind of phenomenon Uh, And I did you know, I did see a ghost I believe when I was a kid and that was very That was your classic sort of you know full-body apparition in front of my eyes type of experience but other things you know have kind of gotten to me just strange dreams all sorts of just all sorts of things that go along with like when you're investigating or studying or researching, even when I've written books and experiences that I've had in my own home while I was writing, you know, a book uh, or a story in an otherwise non-haunted location. And it's just made me wonder. It's definitely brought more questions than it has answers.
1: So I'm trying to understand where your belief in ghosts come from. Um, i i don't i don't understand was it the was it the apparition that you saw when you were a young girl was it the was it your love for history and and was or was it your love for reading books or where where did where did the where did the desire to do what you're doing today come
2: from i think for me i've always been fascinated by ghost stories. Okay. So I think that's where it started for me when I was a kid. I just had I read the, you know, the scary stories tales mm-hmm. by Alvin Schwartz when I was a kid. I I loved to be scared. I loved scary movies, the ones I was allowed to watch. And I enjoyed being scared. I grew up in a small town in Maryland, so I had a few options when I was a teenager. One of them was to, you know, party and act out and I wasn't cool enough to party with the cool kids so I was friends with the people that wanted to go explore graveyards and stuff like that and I also loved history and it made me feel connected to history and connected to where I grew up and so I would go and explore these strange places and I think my desire to know more about the world and and the mysteries of the world sort of is was rooted in in my love for ghosts and ghost stories. My personal paranormal experiences are kind of secondary to all of that. I know some other folks too, uh, especially out here in Chicago, that have spent their whole lives researching and writing about the paranormal and have yet to have a paranormal experience. They just think it's really freaking cool. Um, uh, you know, And they wish they could, but they haven't. And I think I've had a variety of interesting experiences. I just am unable to define what they are. And my day job, I work uh, over at the Adler Planetarium here in the city. So I uh I spend a lot of time around astronomy and space science. It kind of puts things into perspective when you're thinking about the day-to-day like what are what are ghosts and what does ghostly activity mean? For me it's more fascinating to ask the question than it is to know the answer.
1: So Are ghosts real, or are they what many psychologists are pointing to today? They're figments of the experiencer's imagination.
2: I believe that ghostly activity is real, and Mm -hmm. I believe that people's experiences are real. So when somebody describes an experience to me that I may not be able to identify with, Mm -hmm. I believe that they are telling me the truth and that what happened to them did happen insofar as they are able to understand what happened. Then I feel we start applying labels. Then we start calling it well it had to have been a ghost or it had to have been a demon or perhaps it was a, an alien abduction or who knows what what words we use to describe it. So I use the word ghost to describe like a, a type of activity or something like that That I that I or others have Experience. All right,
1: stand by Amelia. We've got to take our break. Exonation okay. Amelia and Cotter is our special guest. AmeliaCotter.com is her website, and we'll both be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exon with yours truly, Rob McConnell from your Broadcast Center and Studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Amelia Cotter is our guest this hour, exonation, www.ameliacotter.com, and Cotter is spelled C-O-T-T-E-R. So if we haven't been able to put a label on what a ghost is, how do we know when somebody says they have seen a ghost, whether it's because they believe they have seen something and they cannot identify it, so they call it a ghost? And how do we know that what they are actually seeing or what they believe they see is something paranormal and not something that is just unknown to them?
2: Well, I think we don't. I think we don't know. Uh, So I can believe that somebody says that they saw Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. I believe that they saw something, you know they might give me a detailed description of a creature that they saw. And in my heart, I know that they saw, or I imagine that they saw, you know, a black bear standing on two legs or, you know, something like that, or it was a hallucination or there was a statue in the Mm -hmm. distance. Uh, So I, you know, to your point, I think that we don't always know. And I think it, it takes, it takes those years of collecting stories, so I've heard uh, hundreds and hundreds of stories, everywhere I go, people have their ghost story ready sure. to share with me. And it's interesting how you kind of, you build up this uh, database internally where you can sort of tell if somebody is either totally BS, or even if they seem, oh, that something doesn't really follow a pattern of like regular, you know, a regular paranormal activity or something like that, if it sounds a little too Hollywood to yourself well they must have been dreaming for part mm-hmm. of this because the the even these things in the realm of the paranormal are not you know physically possible etc etc but, but if i think when you but see but if we patterns, take these stories oh, we activity. but if we take
1: these stories and give them credence without actually having proof that what the person is saying is real are we not enabling at this point
2: I think that the stories themselves are very important. So ghost stories, legends, myths, urban legends provide us with something like a modern mythology. Uh, And I I see there as being separate categories. We have the history of an allegedly haunted location, the actual history and the things that happened there. Then you have the legends, and the tall tales and the fables, maybe the sort of urban legendy types of things that might surround the mm-hmm. haunted location. That's the mythos. And then you have people's experiences of what they say happened and happened to them there. I think each one of those things holds its own value.
1: It has a value, but <laughs> by... Now, this is just my own opinion, by... By, by giving it credence, by giving it some sort of credibility, by printing the story, by retelling the story, are we doing anything that is, that is worthwhile or, or are we just spinning the yarn, keeping the yarn going without any validation of the facts or the events leading up to the, to the story?
2: Well, my goal and my role in the grand scheme of things is not to prove or disprove the paranormal. I'm purely interested in people's experiences and emotions and their connections with ghosts and haunted places and why we as a society or different cultures are so fascinated with ghosts and spirits and how we relate to them. So that's a little bit more of like the heady stuff and the philosophical end of things, more so than it is deep down in the nitty-gritty of, uh, you know, discovering whether or not ghosts really exist, if there's an afterlife, if we can uh, use science to, to demonstrate uh, paranormal activity and things like that. That is not so much my forte.
1: But when you write a book, for example, Maryland Ghosts, Paranormal Encounters in the Free State, is it my am I correct in in saying that what you're doing is you are just retelling or well republishing the stories that you have heard
2: yeah so Marilyn Ghosts was a very fascinating book to write so Mm -hmm. I took the historical pieces of of each of the different places I think there's about 35 different stories in there Right. talked about the history talked about the haunted history insofar so far as what people have reported over the years or the kinds of stories that have been reported and uh, and then I interviewed uh, many different people, including paranormal investigators, including family members, including people that I knew from you know high school and you know, et cetera, et cetera, people that contacted me that were interested in being part of the book, and uh, interviewed them or received their stories of their personal experiences and then shared those. So what it presents to the reader is an opportunity to, read about places that are supposedly haunted, Mm -hmm. and then hear people's own stories.
1: What is your most favorite story from your book, uh, Maryland Ghosts, Paranormal Encounters in the Free State?
2: Oh boy, that's another good question. Um, Well, I, gosh, I have a personal affinity for the National Museum of Civil War Medicine because I worked there when I was in college. So I have, I'm very familiar with it. And that's in Frederick, Maryland, which is close to where I went to school. And it was a really, really neat building. So the building that the museum was located in was built in 1832. And it was a furniture store, Hmm. and later a coffin manufacturer during the the Civil War itself, because the guy who owned the place really wanted to capitalize on making money any way he could. And, uh, so the building itself has a storied history, and then uh, they, they opened up the museum later, much later obviously, and filled it full of these really neat artifacts, including like the last surviving Confederate surgical tent and other neat things. And I got to work there uh, for a couple of years. Sometimes I was the only person in the building and it was uh, just a treasure trove of of history and creepy uh, creepy mannequins and other other kinds of like displays along those lines. And then, of course, there was there were a lot of ghost stories. And that place was different in the sense some places you go to that are supposedly haunted, nobody wants to talk about it. Everybody wants to keep it uh, very hush hush. This this place they they fully embraced that it was supposed to be haunted and they embraced their ghost stories and they invited people to be part of uh i don't know what word to, how to describe it but they they brought people into the fold because it did get people interested in history and got you know if you could make that personal connection with an object or with an exhibit through through a ghost story then they would go ahead and and let you let you have that And it was just darn creepy. I I remember running. I remember the alarm at the end of the day uh, was at the other end of the building from the lights, which is like something you would only see in a horror movie. So I would turn off the lights and then run from one side of the building to the other to set the alarm and then get the heck out of there. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, a grown woman. so. (laughs)
1: Um, So while you were there, I mean, besides the the feeling of creepiness, beside the feeling of uh, that anyone in their right mind would get under those circumstances, did you see or experience anything that you could call paranormal?
2: I once witnessed a stack of books falling off a shelf in succession, one right after the other. And it looked almost as if... Uh, the way you would open a book and flip the pages, mm. this stack of books that was back-to-back, just sort of like one, two, three, four, five, just sort of fell off the shelf onto the floor right in front of me and in front of another person who was working there. And it was accompanied. I've often felt when I've been in the presence of, of you know, real paranormal activity, I feel this like static electricity go through my body. And I felt it then too. And the person I was with said that they saw a mist almost like a cigarette or cigar smoke type of mist uh, float away from the bookshelf after after we saw the books fall. And oh. I did not witness that, but I certainly uh, was heavily creeped out. And the, even even creepier than that, even even more interesting than that, one time I had to go up to the third floor where the offices were, where I wouldn't normally go, but I needed to do a favor for somebody. And I was there over the weekend. I heard men's voices coming from one of the back offices. And the closer I got to the office, uh, I could still hear the voices. It was like two low men's voices murmuring, but you couldn't really understand what they were saying. And even though I could tell the voices were coming from that particular office, the fir- it, even though I got closer, the, the voices still didn't sound like they were getting any closer. They sort of sounded like they were further and further away. And I've heard people... Exp- uh, sort of explain ghostly voices in those terms before where it felt like it was coming from everywhere and nowhere all at the same time. And that was very interesting. It lasted for a while. It wasn't like I I heard something briefly and then was able to second guess myself. I could hear them clearly talking yet I couldn't understand what they were saying. So how long did
1: you stay at that job?
2: I worked there for two or three years and they opened a sister site at the pry house field hospital museum which is on the antietam battlefield the pry house had previously been a stop along the the driving tour of the antietam battlefield and then they opened it up to the public and i worked there for a couple of summers and that was another special experience as well
1: All right, Amelia, please stand by. You and I have to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. And Exxon Nation, Amelia Cotter and I will be back on the other side as we continue talking about the weird, the strange, ghost, hauntings, things that go bump in the night, and much more here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studio in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. For more information on Amelia, visit our website, www.ameliacotter.com. And don't forget, Cotter is spelled C-O-T-T-E-R. back everyone amelia Cotters, is our guest to this hour and amelia tell us about your book the house the true story of a girl and a ghost
2: yeah so that book explores my experiences uh, from when i was a child that i mentioned at the beginning of the interview with right. the house walter's house that was uh, you know this place of local legend mm-hmm. in baltimore county uh and so this this house was actually, it started as a young adult book because at some point I, I didn't realize I was gonna segue completely into writing about the the paranormal in this way. I thought it would be cool to write some ghost stories, but my, my career took a different path. And so it was originally a young adult book chronicling my, my love and fascination for the house and then my encounter with the ghost that I called Walter because everybody called all of any of the ghosts there. Walter, and that was when I experienced seeing uh, a young man uh, hanging out of a window, looking down at me from an attic window, and he was completely white. So I could see his body, and I could see his clothing and his hair, but all all the definition and everything. But there was no no pigment, just just white, and he had no face but it wasn't a scary like vacuum of ha- of not having a face it was just sort of like one of those like blank like a country doll that you sometimes mm-hmm. see that are just just have those white faces and i had that static electric feeling that i was describing before and the the feeling that what i was seeing was not something that was scary or or threatening to me and i was actually thrilled i was 11 years old i actually felt thrilled and very honored the way that if you were a bird watcher, and you saw a really rare bird, you would get really excited because this was some, this was like a life list item or something like that. And uh, for the rest of my life, I've never seen anything quite like that. So I remember that very fondly, and I just really adore it. It was cool that I got to have that experience, such like an intimate experience with a haunted place that felt like it was my own.
1: Was that the only encounter that you had with Walter?
2: That was the only one that was visual. I would explore the house and uh, imagine what what Walter or his family or these people may have been like who used to live there. There were scattered remnants from you know the 1950s through all the way back to like the the 1850s, and the house had been built well before that. I remember hearing footsteps in the house and i had captured an evp at the time on an old recorder that is long gone uh but like an old analog recorder and i have it in my journals from when i was a kid saying that uh that that a voice had come across on the recorder telling me take it take it now while i was looking at some objects on a shelf and i ended up taking a mason jar out of the house about a month before it was torn down there was a car accident that happened in front of the property and like the guardrail, you know, from the street actually landed on the porch of the house. And I think, I don't know why that's, it seemed to coincide with that, but I, I wonder if the County or the state, you know, then were paying attention to the fact that there was this big a big abandoned house next to the road and they, they decided to tear it down, but then it was gone. It was gone. It was nothing but green grass within a few months. It was oh very gosh. surreal.
1: You know, over the years during this show, I've, I've come to, realize something that the majority of paranormal researchers especially those who investigate ghosts are actually historians
2: yeah isn't that interesting i've i wonder if they do go hand in hand Mm -hmm. because it it allows for that that connection to history that sort of living history for for lack of a better term not trying to be punny but like you know a, a living history connection and, and an appreciation for for history, or architecture, or old spaces. I've met a lot of people like that.
1: Do we hear of any new homes, or new factories, or new buildings that are haunted?
2: I certainly have out here in Chicago, mm-hmm. since there are so many different, uh, even though this is a shorter span of history that Chicago's been around, there's a lot of layers. And there's a lot of, you know, places get torn down and built over. And there are stories about brand new condos or brand new houses that were built over top of other properties or even like museum areas and things like that, that have old hauntings in the new building.
1: Strange. Uh, You were were a tour guide. Uh, Well, let me see with uh, Chicago hauntings and how haunted is Chicago?
2: Chicago's pretty darn haunted. Really? I have to tell you, I do love this city. I've been here for about 10 years mm-hmm. and I'm a I feel like I've I'm fully indoctrinated into the Midwest mm-hmm. now even though I grew up on the East Coast. And Chicago just has a really neat history and so many so many cool stories, uh cool urban legends and things like that, but then also genuinely haunted places. We have some of the like rock star places out here like Bachelors Grove Cemetery and, you know, the site of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre and the Hull House where the devil baby story originated and just just countless. I could go on and on for a long time. Um, And we got to visit those on the tours. And, of course, I travel and I talk about, you know, haunted haunted Chicago, haunted Midwest. It's really neat. There's a lot.
1: While you were a tour guide with uh, Chicago Hauntings, did anything strange or weird or bizarre happen?
2: Yes. So I didn't usually expect a lot to happen because you're in a very like, you know, you're on like a, You're on a big bus Mm -hmm. with between like 25 and 50 people. And it's very clinical. You get on, you get off. You tell the stories. People take and snap some photos. Sometimes, though, people, other people would have some incredible experiences. They would be in tears, um, things that they thought that they saw or felt or experienced, photos that they took that they looked at later and then would send to us and say, you won't believe what I found, what I captured. And then I had some interesting experiences, too. I was doing it for a while several nights a week sometimes more than one time a night and sometimes like doing the tours after you know after 10 o'clock after a few tours it was almost like psychedelic like be really tired just kind of on autopilot and i would have these crazy crazy lucid dreams when i would get home and sometimes i would hear things i lived with my friend at the time over towards the west side of chicago and I would hear footsteps shuffling up and down the hallway I would get up one time I got up in the middle of the night and uh, went went to, to go use the bathroom and as I crossed the hallway from my room to the bathroom I saw a woman standing in our kitchen out of the corner of my eye and I don't count that as a ghostly sighting because I was deliriously tired and had just woken up and I saw her out of the corner of my eye and when I looked again she was gone but People had warned me, the other tour guides had sort of like warned warned me and some of the other, you know, newbies that there were certain places that you could take something home if you weren't careful. And the the area around the Hull House was one of those places. So I was always actually there. I figured it can't hurt to be a little superstitious. So they told me never go in the courtyard and I didn't. Other people had reported being followed home by like a female spirit. So you so, know so how do you protect how do you
1: protect, <laughs> how do you protect yourself from from bringing something home with you after you do a, a tour
2: i had i would have uh little things that i would take with me mm-hmm. so some sort of a good luck charm or talisman or a piece of jewelry or a, you know i would wear the same ring same socks kind of you know something like that and feel i would sort of you know say a prayer beforehand be in a good mind frame have a clear frame of mind and always uh discourage any energy from from following me home sometimes i would actually say that out loud uh or and other times i would just sort of repeat it as a mantra to myself and then uh and then around that too i you know i pretty sometimes i'm a little woo woo with the Candles and incense and stuff like that. So, whatever it takes, you know.
1: Why do you think in the year 2018 so many people are interested in ghosts, hauntings, and things that go bump in the night in a world of such, you know, uh, technological marvels?
2: That's such a good question. My husband was telling me recently that he read somewhere that like paranormal or ghosts or something like that is one of the top. Google searches worldwide. I think more people are interested in that stuff now than ever. And I remember, like, I was interested in it Mm -hmm. because it was like a gateway to all of the cool mysteries of the world, growing up in a small town, like, oh, wow, you know, what if? And now it's so easy to get a hold of ghost stories or to go on YouTube and you can spend hours looking at videos of alleged Mm -hmm. ghosts and whatnot or, you know, listening to EVPs, there's endless TV shows and books. Yeah. And I don't know, I feel like it is an outlet. It's an outlet for people to be scared that is in its own way, if you're not too steeped in it like like some of us, it is harmless in its own way. So the world is like a scarier place now than I think that it's ever been. So it's a way to indulge those fears without being in in real danger.
1: So we can say that ghost hunting of today is replacing the roller coaster ride where you actually have to go to the park. You actually have to pay money. You actually have to experience the thrill physically, whereas with ghost hunting, you just go online and get the thrill without doing anything about it. So are we talking about something like an armchair quarterback?
2: I wonder about that because and it's hard for me. It's like I don't want to say anything negative about it because I enjoy doing this so mm-hmm. much and so much of my audience are people that that enjoy this as well so it, but at the same time i think about like how there's just a flood of people interested sure. in ghosts and there's ghost hunters now everywhere you go all these ghost hunting all groups right st- that pop stand up.
1: by stand by we've got to take our sure. final break exon nation amelia cotter is our special guest and her website is www.ameliacotter.com and we'll both be back as we wrap up this hour here in the exon from our broadcast center and studios in hamilton ontario canada i'm rob mcconnell don't go away (音楽) Thank you. Amelia Cotter is our special guest of the Excel Nation. www.ameliacotter.com. And Amelia, what part of the entire uh, para industry do you think plays into the into the mix or into the formula these days that paranormal sells?
2: Gosh, it's it's kind of it's sort of turned into a monster, mm-hmm. you know, with the, the advent of, of the many television shows that started like with Ghost Hunters, which was really cool because then people felt like they could have access to information about how to ghost hunt mm-hmm. if they were interested in the hobby. And so it sort of and it brought an awareness to the paranormal field and also to some historic places that have now been restored because people put money into them through things like public investigations and stuff like that. And there've been some positives and there have been a lot of negatives. I meet a lot of people like you had mentioned earlier that are really interested in history and that are historians or authors or have been, were investigators 30 years ago when, you know, when it was a much different ball game than it is now with, with this, field being inundated by a lot of people who just feel like maybe they need to be validated through having a hobby where they feel empowered. I'm not sure. It's hard for me to pinpoint. Uh, I just know that it's turned into a big industry, maybe through movies as well, like movies that have sort of brought ghost hunting to light. So not Mm -hmm. just scary and horror movies, but movies that are sort of about paranormal activity and ghost hunters and found footage, filming your own we have our own YouTube channels now that we film all kinds of stuff with. So sure. then people, of course, will go out looking but, for a big but once, get, that. but once again, <laughs> let,
1: let's get let's get back to, to where I was going with this. You know, it's it, it's if somebody can make a buck, they'll do anything to make a buck. Oh how, yeah. You know how do you how do you how do you validate anything? Or you know where does the responsibility lie when it comes to having so much access to so much information? that you know there's a lot of crap out there and how is the person who has just gained an interest in let's say the paranormal how are they to know what is real and what is fake where does the responsibility of the rest of society lie when it comes to validation and this is why i look at investigating the paranormal totally different than i would say 99.999 percent of the people do i'm an ex-police investigator we go on fact. We don't go on supposition. Right. You cannot conduct an investigation without facts. And you have so many people out there calling themselves investigators. Uh, well, where did you learn how to be an investigator? Oh, on the Internet. No, 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 that's, no, no. no. Uh,
2: one of the, that's one of the questions that I ask a mm-hmm. lot, too. You know, one of those ethical, like, are we part of the, part of the solution mm-hmm. or part of the problem types of questions. Sure that I pose a lot when I go places and talk to people with a sense of self awareness yeah. too. that, you know, I make money off of writing books and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I work in a museum. I, you know, I come from the museum world, I work in space science. So I definitely see when people also talk about investigation or they talk about scientific equipment, Yes. sometimes I shake my head and I think, Oh, that's just cause it's a gadget doesn't make it science
1: (laughs) I I had a guest Uh, on I had a guest on the show the other night who claimed to have created the uh, what's called ghost box where multi-band scans and I said no you didn't oh yes I did I said what you did was you took a design that the Tandy corporation came up with called the Bearcat scanner oh you've heard of that oh yeah like why 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 all the why all the attempts on 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 deception
2: well there's a lot of snake oil to be sold in this mm-hmm. industry just like what you're you're mentioning and there are a lot of people who are not well informed they're not well informed about how to investigate the paranormal but they're also not well informed about the basics around it they're not well informed about history yeah. or science or any of the the basic things like we may come from that angle, but some people are coming from the angle like what you're saying with like just really being interested in paranormal investigation and they tack on this like well I'm gonna find the truth kind of like crusade I'm gonna help people and i don't I don't really personally buy into that
1: I, I want you know and I keep asking this question to to teams that come on the show and and researchers what Are you going, what are you looking for, number one? Number two, how are you going to prove that you've actually found what you claim you have found? And number three, what happens with that information?
2: Well, to your point about what you were saying with, you know, the technology, Mm. the world of technology being so prevalent at our fingertips, that's probably been the nail in the coffin for any really good evidence, and I'll use evidence in quotation fingers, of the paranormal because it doesn't matter how good or how grainy uh, a video is or an EVP or anything, people, skeptics as well as hardcore paranormal investigators alike are are not going to believe what they're seeing anymore. And I also don't think that a bunch of us in the last part of the 20th and first part of the 21st century are gonna figure out all the mysteries of life and death when that's basically been what humans have been wondering about for our entire existence. So I find it very egotistical too that uh that we think that we're going to do that with some some old radios sure. that you know play f- a m frequencies over and over.
1: How do you think the transhuman evolution and the possibility of perpetual life is going to affect the paranormal?
2: I don't have an answer for that. i actually I don't know. Why? I'm very curious myself yeah. just to see what happens in the next couple of decades.
1: It's with it, it is going all of this.
2: To, it um, certainly is
1: going to be very interesting. Uh, we're in the Halloween season. It must be busy for you. And uh, oh yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I'm running on fumes. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> right. Even even at this point in October, really, I'm yeah. already I'm already running on fumes. But I do love it. I do love it.
1: Do you think that that Halloween is the catalyst behind the the paranormal?
2: uh like our interest in the paranormal
1: yeah or 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 the reason why it's kept around i i mean the paranormal because you know of all the well the way i don't know yeah it, it seems that as we were as as you're a child you're filled with certain myths and certain myths stick with you and when it comes to the paranormal there is no other myth or time of the year more adaptable or more pointed to the belief in the paranormal and life after death than the the Halloween season.
2: That's very true. Well, I wonder, It's I mean, it's also a, a kitschy time of year in, in its own way, in its own fun way, which mm-hmm. I say with all love. So I don't know anymore if people are as fascinated with Halloween as they are with just year round with yeah. with ghostly phenomenon, but I'm sure it's rooted in Halloween for so many of us. I have Halloween's always been my favorite, so I'm I'm one of them. So
1: <laughs> I I I wonder how come over all the years, especially with the advances in technology, cameras and the different types of of um, of equipment that is being developed for the scientific community as well as the media. Why this equipment hasn't been able to, to film a ghost, film a, a, a Bigfoot, a UFO, all the components of the paranormal, one would think that with the advances in photographic equipment, audio equipment, that these finds would have been made by now. I can't understand why they're still evasive unless they don't I'm- exist
2: well i believe they have been perhaps in bits and pieces mm-hmm. but they're buried in the mounds and mounds and mounds of the nonsense and the bad the the crappy evidence like what you were saying earlier and the good stuff is is somewhere in there and there's not a solidified community especially with like you know the bigfoot community yeah. let's say where general uh you know mainstream science is not on board enough to to come forward or anything saying that that they believe that it could be possible
1: quickly we've got about a minute and a half here and first of all i want to thank you so much for joining us great pleasure talking to you this is a
2: great conversation this was refreshing thank you
1: no it's i who thank you because i know you're a very busy lady uh you're a great author but I, i would like to hear about your breakfast with bigfoot
2: Yeah. So it's based on a real Bigfoot encounter. Mm -hmm. I changed the character, the main character to a little girl to make it like, you know, kid friendly, obviously, Mm -hmm. but it is based on a real Bigfoot encounter that a man claimed to have where he believed he was uh, kidnapped uh, overnight by a family of Bigfoot and then, you know, returned safely in the morning. And it was a positive Bigfoot sighting.
1: (laughs) Amelia, once again, thank you so much uh, for joining us tonight. It's been a great pleasure to you thank and you. yours a very happy halloween
2: same to you thank you
1: you take care of yourself now next Exonation, if you'd like more information about our guest this hour amelia cotter and don't forget cotter is spelled c-o-t-t-e-r that's www.ameliacotter.com now i'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as we continue here in the x from our broadcast center and studios in hamilton ontario canada If you'd like to send me an email, XZone at XZoneRadioTV.com on all social media sites, XZone Radio TV. And to find out about the scheduling that we have available for the XZone Radio Show and the XZone Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. And for all the information on the XZone TV channel that includes the XZone Radio TV Show... Um, let me see, Mysterious Destinations. We have uh, Freeman Fly who's joining us, uh, Benjamin Radford, and a host of great people. They're going to be sharing their videos, their views, their beliefs with each and every one of you. And all you have to do is go to the Xone TV channel that is exclusive to www.simultv.com. Dot .com I'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the X Zone from our studios and broadcast center in beautiful Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away.